Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Subscribe to it on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher or get it on pulphockey.com. You can also go there. Thanks for all the nice words. Follow us on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. And uh, things have been going great, and we appreciate it. Two under, the best men's underwear out there. A lot of NHL guys wear it. And use the code Ferraro20 to save yourself money at two under, the number two UNDR. And also, too, are you fumbling around with old school hockey whiteboards that won't erase? Tired of drawing plays over plexiglass? Righty Board is here. Righty Board. Com. Use the code PULP to save yourself 15%. It's sticking to the rink glass at practice. Peel it off. Slap it up in the locker room. Sticks without bubbles leaves no residue. The power play whiteboard has patented foam technology that makes installation and removing a breeze. Check those guys out. With me on the line is a guy that uh, played the game, uh, had a nice career, won a Stanley Cup, and is now covering the Jets inside and out, the Winnipeg Jets inside and out, both on radio and mostly on TV for TSN, uh, former NHL defenseman Shane Knighty. Shane, welcome to the show, and thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's nice to, uh, nice to have. Uh, you're down in Tampa, and uh, nice to have another Winnipeg guy on the line. Of course, I was born and raised there. So are you, um, are you staying by the rink there? Are you running all around the harbor and all that? I actually just got back from running around, uh, oh. so uh, beautiful. Anytime I get a chance to be outside, because as you know, Winnipeg, uh, <laughs> not much for outdoor activities unless you're bundled up. And uh, yeah. yeah, right across from the rink, enjoying some nice weather. I had to go around to golf first thing, and oh, then, uh, wow. a little workout. Now, well, well, you and I'll have a chat. Yeah, it's nice, uh, and it's really nice down by the, by the rink. It wasn't like ten years ago, but they've really sunk a lot of money in around that Tampa Bay uh, ice rink, and it's beautiful, man. Shops and running, running, and it's in and out of the harbor. Nice area. So, it's a great area, and you know what? I, and I remember been here so many times mm-hmm. over the years and playing. But uh, yeah, seen it grow, and they do a really good job. Uh, you know, their pregame events they have. They have a beautiful big area. They have bands playing right in front of the arena. Yeah. It's a great place, and you see a lot of Canadians that do come down for games here uh, to follow a team and just just take it all in, yep. enjoy a little sunshine and, and a good time. Yeah, wife and I did. I'm a Maple Leaf fan, so life's been rough lately. But uh, wife, wife and I did the Miami, uh, Florida, and Tampa back to back. Drove, you know, both both games, and it was yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was. It wasn't really a holiday or anything, and it was shocking how many Leaf fans and Canadians were everywhere. Uh, so yeah, people, you know, snowboards down there or whatever. There's tons of them down there. So sometimes it. I mean, I guess when the Jets play the Lightning here, you'll see a lot of Jet jerseys. I'm sure. Oh, you certainly do. Yeah, you see them every building, and uh, you know, with the Jets, the, the chant out for the shout out for True North uh, during the Canadian anthem, and you can kind of gauge <laughs> how many fans are in the building on the road from from that, how loud it is. Yeah, and, and it's pretty spectacular how how often it, it is. You can you clearly hear it, and uh, since the Jets, uh, you know, the franchise moved from Atlanta to Winnipeg. Uh, the support has been, you know, extended way out Manitoba for for the reason that a lot of people, you know, have transplanted. But mm-hmm. uh, they they definitely proud to put those Jets jerseys back on. Now you grew up in Manitoba in Nipawa, 
and I've been there a few times. I think racing dirt bikes or gone through the town anyways on the way to a, a dirt bike race. Uh, I guess, did you go to Jet Games as a kid? Did you go to a lot to the old arena? Oh, boy, that was a big trip, that two hours to go to the big – you know, I went to a few, uh-huh. and it was pretty exciting for a small-town kid. But uh, Winnipeg was – you know, for me, that was just crazy to go in and see the lights. And <laughs> to me, that was a massive city eventually right. now, you know, and right. a little more well-traveled. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I remember going in. I, I remember especially to see the Oilers. and It would have been, it would have been in their heyday in, uh, you know, yep. the mid to late 80s, you know, Gretzky. And I remember – uh, meeting, getting Dave Samanko's autograph, and he was the biggest, scariest, <laughs> most intimidating guy ever. He, for, and, uh, he forever had know, a five o'clock a shadow. More of the ju- yeah. What's that? He forever had a five o'clock shadow and just looked pissed off oh. all the time. He does, and you still see him because he scouts, so you still right. see him around the arena, and he still has that presence about him. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, it was funny. You know, I grew up in Winnipeg and going to Jet games, and I've been back and gone to the new the Jets 2.0. Man, in the early 90s, in the mid-90s, before the team left, you could sit almost anywhere you wanted. No one cared. It was, it was, it was not surprised the team left town. And then you go back now, and, and I mean, obviously you go to all every game, and it's it's insane what uh, Mark Chipman, David Thompson, everybody else has done. And they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, holy crap! You, yeah, it's an, it's fanatic. It's, it's it's just fanatic fans now. It's crazy. Well, absolutely, it is, and uh, you probably combine some uh, very good beer sales in there um, <laughs> yeah. that, that adds to it. But it, but it really was. It was it was so electric and. You know, obviously the first year stands out to me, and it fades. That's natural. The team Mm -hmm. struggled this year, so this is the first year you've seen not a decline, but the atmosphere isn't isn't near what it was that year one. It's still a great place to play. Uh, But that first year, just uh, when they came out, the Go Jets, Go Chants, the anthem, and and the opposition loved coming there because it is. It's a hockey building. The fans know the game. They're into the game. Um, they appreciate the team coming back, and um, you know. But like, but any Canadian fan, they're they're so passionate about the sport. There, there starts to become that disconnect, and, and hopefully, it, I, mean, I don't think it will happen. I should say, yeah, don't yeah. Hope. It, it won't happen. But they do fade away a bit. Mm-hmm. They want to win so bad. They feel part of that team because it's such a small community. Well, I was going to ask you. So this year, team hasn't been as good. I I think they're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, are you starting to hear a little bit of people grumbling and mumbling about the team and the direction and everything else? Are you starting to uh, see fans no longer are just like, obviously there was a playoff series last year against the Ducks and everything else, and, and it seemed like the team was on the rise. So maybe this year is the first time you're noticing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of rumbles? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to yeah. say. But, and, and that's what you mentioned, the playoffs last year. And, and mm-hmm. that's where – you know, expectations may have gotten, you know, the bar was pushed a little higher than some should think. And, and this is something that goes back. When this franchise came, because I played in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and, and it was a fractured franchise. Yep. You know, the prospects and the team. And it, it takes a long time to rework things. I think they're on the right path. They've been able to draft well since 2011. Mark Shifley, you know, being that first pick. And mm-hmm. since that time, they, you know, Nikolai Ehlers playing on the team. Um, There's just a real good depth. Uh, of guys they've drafted now, and they they made a change this year. When you look at the Central Division, so the teams that made playoffs, every team went out, and you know you yeah. look at Dallas, they went out and got Patrick Sharp, and they got better. Um, you know Colorado made some moves. You figured they'd be in the hunt. Minnesota, you thought would be better. They did some things, um, mm-hmm. and St. Louis, Chicago, 
they're always going to be there. And Nashville's got better too. Yeah. Um, so those teams, Winnipeg really didn't make those big moves. They got younger. They brought in four guys in their top 12 that really were, were, didn't play in the NHL last year. Like Andrew Kopp, Alexander Burmistrov, Nikolai Ehlers, you know, Adam Lowry was in his second year, and Mark Scheifele's still young. Uh, and then they don't talk about it much. You lose Andre Pavlik in November. And there's a lot of grumbling about, oh, yeah, whether or not. Well, he, he's their number one goalie, and he was gone for a long period of time. But that enabled them to see Connor Hellebuck, who's mm-hmm. probably going to be the goalie of the future, 22 years old coming. So there's some youth on this team, and you really don't kind of associate. They're in the right stage right now. Right. Last year, maybe that step forward. And, and, and not that they still want to fight for playoffs. They will. But, but there has been a little bit of a change in the dynamic this year. They've injected a little more skill. Last year, it was a grind out. 60-minute battle mm-hmm. every night to play the games. Right. Yeah, they, they made a move. They sent Connor Hellybuck down. Uh, he was the only guy that really could get sent down. Um, Pavlik's back and playing. In my mind, again, I'm a guy on the couch. I think they want Pavlik to take the ball here and try to trade him because uh, they, they see what they got in Hellybuck. What do you think of that move? Do um, you think I'm right, or do you think that is a case of, like, Pavlik – you know, well, he he can get hot. We've seen him last last half of the last year. He was on fire, but I think they want to move him. I think I think they're going to try to. What do you think about that? Uh, you, you know what? I don't know. And I think everybody's everybody has a price. So I'm not going to say it won't happen. I don't know if I would jump at that. Mm-hmm. And for this reason, because last year Michael Hutchinson stepped in. Everybody said, "Okay, we don't need Pavlik. Let's right, trade him." Right, last year, right. he ends up coming back and getting the playoffs. Michael Hutchinson this year comes in, and it has not been a good season for Hutchinson. So mm-hmm. if they didn't have Pavlik, you know, I, and, yeah. I, and, I, and so that's going into next year. Can you, because they want to take the, if this year's a step back, next year has to be a step forward. Yeah. So can you go a season with two guys that really have not, uh, you know, proven the yeah. number one? you got a prospect yeah. in Hellebuck. you kind of got a prospect in Hutchinson who may, who may be able to turn it around. But uh, I think I'd rather have that veteran scenario. Okay. Uh, you know, where you have Pavlik, you split games, give Hellebuck, you know, whether it's, you know, two th- or a third of the games or if he works, you know, make it a battle, internal yeah. competition, and uh, and then see where it takes you. I was surprised they didn't put Hutchinson down. Obviously, he can be claimed, but like you said, it hasn't been a good year. Do you think he would have been claimed and that was the reasoning behind it? Well, I think why risk it, right? Yeah, yeah. You sure. Give him a chance. He did so much for them last year, and give him an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. He's a he's a quality he's a quality kid. Uh, he works hard. It's been an off year. Uh, confidence is everything, and doesn't matter what sport, what position you play in. Mm-hmm. When you lose it, it, it's tough to get back. You have to work for it. So right. he, he's got to find a way to get that mental toughness. But it, the easy decision is Hellebuck can go down. He can play. He doesn't need to go through waivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to worry about losing a guy and. Um, you know, so to me, that that's why it made sense. Right, right. Um, it, I guess also too for you following the team, like you said, Pavlik was the reason they got in last year, and he was on fire. But then he, his lows are low too. So you, as a sitting between the benches, or sometimes calling the games in the radio, he's he's a hard guy to figure out, huh? Like he's a hard guy to be like, what is he? What is Andre Pavlik? Is he number well, one? Is he? And that's it. <laughs> Well, and to be fair, there wasn't a real good defensive. They, they struggled defensively. Mm-hmm. 
pretty much until Paul Maurice came in, and then last year they were a good defensive team. And I think it's when I think of Pavlik, it's it's seeing him play more controlled. I thought he had a good season last year. Hutchinson pushed him, mm-hmm. and then he really turned it on. I think that was his best season we'd seen out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he worked really hard in the off season prior to it. And uh, he's a very athletic goalie, and I thought he tended to overpush and use that athleticism a little too much, and he'd get out of position and and he could steal a game because he, he's that, yeah, that he type can. Athlete, yeah he it, can that, that one goal every now and then that you just can't allow mm-hmm. and, and the consistency in his game and he he developed that last year came in feeling good this year but but when you play in a market like Winnipeg you're gonna you're a goaltender that's that is a tough position to be in you're the last line of defense mm-hmm. and you, when I watch plays and you you could put a goal against that there there's probably at least three people that can be in blame because sometimes it does, it doesn't happen on the shot right. the goal it could happen on a play in the defense it could have happened in the neutral it could have happened at the other end 200 feet away where somebody had a misread on the forecheck so sure. there's a series of mistakes that lead to goals against or else it's or else sometimes it's just pure luck. <laughs> yeah, and you know this as a former defenseman. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's times where you missed your guy, you've missed your guy, or you made something that the goal went in, and you're like, that was 100% my fault. <laughs> so, but, yeah. and, but the spotlight gets shone on yeah. the, uh, yep. shined on the goalie because right. they're the last one that the, the puck goes by. Yep. Um, if the Jets miss, do you think Paul Maurice is in danger? No. No, he'll be there. I, I don't believe that at all. Yep. And he shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's done an excellent job. And, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate that we get to work and listen to him talk. And right. he's, a, he's a very brilliant hockey man. I've been a lot, around a lot of coaches, played on enough teams that, uh, you know, I, I can get a pretty fair understanding. And mm-hmm. uh, he's got a real good mind for the game. I think he commands. He's got a, he's got a good commanding presence. Mm-hmm. When he stands up and, and when he barks, boy. Guys are going to listen, and, and, and I think he's fair. And It's interesting, and I think one thing with coaches, especially a guy like him who's coached so long, and he said it when he came in, just learning to evolve as a coach. Because he went over to Russia, and he learned over there mm-hmm. how important communication is because the lack of it that he sure. had. So yeah. the communication with players. and You know, coaching has changed. Changed since I played. Certainly changed since I first started playing pro, right. you know, back in the late 90s where, you know, it was more that Mike Keenan style. You didn't talk to the coach, and <laughs> they yelled. There was no, there was no pat in the back. Are you telling it me was a, it was a kick in the ass, and, and and that's what you got to get going? Are you telling me Jacques Martin wasn't a big communicator? <laughs> well, no, not at all. Jacques Martin, you were lucky to get three words out of him. It seemed that um, way. But he was a smart coach. Right, right. No, yeah, he he was a defensive coach, but on the media, he came across like I'm like, wow, this guy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and and that's it. But yep. he was real tough to have a conversation. I but you know what? I, I've seen him now. He's with Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. I have a great talk with him. I think I ran into him in Montreal. Mm-hmm. I think I might have talked to Wade Redden uh, this summer. I saw him. I said I had the longest chat with uh, Jacques <laughs> in about five minutes than I did over the four years I played for him. <laughs> played so uh, right. Um, big news, of course. Uh, a couple weeks ago now, uh, Dustin Bufflin contract got ha- made. It was a uh, Lots of talk between him and Andrew Ladd, of course, uh, who they're going to keep, who they're going to let go. Can they keep them both? Are they both going to trade them? Well, we got our answer. Bufflin um, is signed. And I guess, first of all, let me ask you, Shane, uh, you're in and out of this team every day. If you, do you think Andrew Ladd gets dealt, or do you think there's a possibility that they get this guy, they get a deal to him? It's interesting because it seems like daily a report comes up one way or the other. And <laughs> they have done a good job keeping it internal. You hear yeah. sometimes, well, but dude, you're in the room, though. The table or, you're in the room. Well, and, 
It's tough, and <laughs> it's tough as a player. It, right, it starts right. the way, and I was surprised both with them and Buffalo and it went this long. And mm-hmm. A credit to Andrew Ladd, you know, being the captain, and yep. it's going to weigh on anybody. That, that's human nature. You, you can't just push that. You could push it aside for a while. But then come, you know, mid-December and, and on, it starts the way. There's some weight there, and it gets mm-hmm. heavier and heavier. Sure. Yep. Maybe now, because they're getting closer to an actual deadline, it's, you know, okay, well, whatever happens now happens. Just play the game. But, uh-huh. um I wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, I know that's not the answer you're looking <laughs> yeah, for. Yeah, come on, Shane. <laughs> um, but I, but I could, I could see it. Yep. I just, I just think now, if a deal's done, it's going to be more in favor of the Jets. And yeah, is absolutely. he willing to do that, or yeah. does he want to explore free agency? Does someone want to take him on as a rental? It's interesting because the team he won the cup with last, you know, lost Marion Hosa, and you know Chicago's been looking all year for somebody to play on that line with Taves and Hosa on the left side. Andrew Ladd, to me, would you know definitely be a fit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what the return is. I don't know what the market is for for a guy like Ladd. But you know, you, you need to command something pretty good. And uh, again, this is this is something for GMs. Is it get closer? Is it better to make a deal you know a week yep. prior to the deadline, or are you better to wait? Um, they have all the internal, but I really haven't heard much uh, about either way which is, which way it will actually go. Were you in favor of keeping Buff? Uh, obviously, he's a polarizing guy. He can uh, dance up and down the ice and make these incredible plays. Other times, you wonder, like, what's he thinking? But were you were you a guy like, hey, the Jets got to keep this guy? Were you were you in that favor, or, or were yes. you surprised? Yeah, I I was for the right term, and they got that. They got the five years. Anything more than five years, I, I don't think. Yeah, it's worth it. And mm-hmm. you know, the money. Yeah, he's going to get that money. I think he might even. I don't know if he would have got more. He might have got a little more, but he definitely would have got more term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or possibly, yeah. possibly, yeah. He, I think you ha- you have to keep a guy. If I'm if I'm a fan, and I, I've watched so much hockey, but if I'm paying for a ticket, you, you want to go to. He's a guy that puts fans in the seat. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's mistakes to his game, but when you're talking about an elite guy that's six five, two sixty, can be physically dominating, can yeah. be offensively dominating, he can be solid defensively once. Yes, he's going to make mistakes, but everybody, this is. This is the secret we should let out there. You know, every good defenseman makes mistakes, especially those offensive. You telling me Eric Carlson? Yeah, doesn't make he he is you know something. You don't know what's going to happen. Right, right, there's, right. There's risk to their game. Yeah. There is risk to those guys. PK Subban, whoever you can go down the list of those guys. Yep, they are unique. You can't replace a Dustin Bufflin. Um, and Andrew Ladd is a consistent guy. He's a captain yet. They're going to have to, if things go move on, they'll mm-hmm. find someone to step in, in that role. Yep. But you can find a young player that can develop into that, you know, kind of, you know, up and down 40. He consistently gets you that 20 to 25 goals. A little bit of an off year this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Picks it up at times, still could get there. Um, to me, Dustin Bufflin, uh, you just don't find a physical specimen like that that can skate and, mm-hmm. and have the hand skills for a big man and, you know, just shield off checks and make that first pass out of your zone. He, he just does just so. So many unique things. You you can't basically you can't teach someone six five. Two, six. <laughs> Does he remind you of anybody? Like when I watch him, I don't watch all the Jet games. Um, you know, you're the, you're the expert here. He's not as good as Chris Pronger. Okay, that's kind of crazy talk. But like he can do everything that Pronger could do. He could be mean. He's got a shot. He can take it and run with it up the ice. Now, again, I, you know, I think Chris Pronger is probably a better player, more consistent anyways. But to me, yeah. he can affect the game like that. What about you? Does he remind you of anybody else like that you, know, you played with or you, you played against? 
I don't think he does just because of his He's, ability to move yeah. at that size. And right. Be like, and I played with Chris Pronger in, in Anaheim, and you're talking about you know, Hall of Fame demon. He's yeah. Incredible. One of the best first passes. He, he could make everything was tape to tape. Probably one of the meanest guys. And, and it's funny. I forget who told me this, talking about, you know, Chris Pronger, you know, got away with so much. But I think the refs is like, well, we can't call 15 penalties, so they pick their you know <laughs> right. two, three, maybe four a game on him, right? And, and call that, or else he'd be in the. His stick work was, you know, you didn't want want to go to the front and head. Yeah, and yeah. He, he was not afraid to lay the lumber and be physical, but he he was solid defensively. His positioning just fantastic, and mm-hmm. then, you know, smart, ex- extremely. You know, the talk about hockey IQ, yeah. you know, off the charts. So, um, but with Buffalo, it's hard to compare him with anyone else. Yeah. I think of, you know, big D man who can move Shea Weber, but Shea Weber is a different type of player. Um, Bufflin just he, he and anticipation. That's the thing, one thing with Dustin Bufflin that people may don't realize is how well he thinks the game. Mm-hmm. He, he can jump into plays. And um, Ken Hitchcock was talking about him just the other day when we were saying he called him a jumper, which I've never yeah. referred to before. But he said he's a jumper. He he jumps. He, he anticipates. He can jump ahead of the pass to play, and because of his body, jumps in front of you know, the forward or the checker to, to intercept the pass, whether it's the neutral zone or the mm-hmm. offensive zone. And um, to me, that, that leads to good anticipation, thinking the game. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He can change it, sometimes for the worse, most times for the better. But Bufflin can yeah. change the game. Yeah. Um, He's a game changer. And that's a good way to, do it, to describe it. And not that I place everything on plus minus these days, but he is plus seven on a team that's, you know, uh, under 500 right now. So. Yeah. You know that says something. He has, he has yeah. improved defensively. Yep. He has improved. There, there. His his timing at certain time. Obviously, when they're they're down in games and they're chasing games, chasing the score, mm-hmm. he's going to have that element of risk. Is going to be a lot more to his game. Uh, but he understands now when to go, when to not, when to manage to manage the game. I think is a good way to put it because he can look, see the score, and know you know what? Okay, I I can sit back a little bit. Uh, but if they're down, and he wants to be that guy that that scores that goal, and he's going to bring it, but it, but it it is a lot less uh, in those high risk areas yeah. uh, in volume. You know where you see it five or six times a game. You know he's a lot better picking maybe two or three times to make to make those plays. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it, and uh, thanks to our guys. We're coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's PowerPlay Whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the PowerPlay board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front. Removable, long-lasting, air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every rink, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these PowerPlay whiteboards and check them out. Use the code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your PowerPlay board. All right, back to the show. Give me a guy that, in your eyes, has uh, had a good year, has surpassed your expectations, and maybe give me a guy that's maybe in the whole season has not done what you thought he could do. Uh, you, you touched on that, having a bit of a down season, but maybe there's somebody else behind this, you know, either further down the depth part, depth chart or, or, or up it. A couple guys each way that you thought has really shown, and then maybe a guy that you, you wish you saw some more from. 
Well, and it's tough for me to look because uh, there's a lot of the guys I think struggle are talking about young players. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Adam Lowry is a guy you expect to see more strides. So it's unfair for me to say he's really the second year in the league. He's been given a responsibility to, to play in a shutdown role because that's where he's going to be developed. So, you know, he got his little, he got sent down to the Manitoba Moose, the American mm-hmm. Hockey League there just before Christmas and came back and played really well. But, um, you know, so it's not fair to say uh, his expectations. I was just so impressed with him. And I still think he's going to be a great player. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that have gone good, you know, Blake Wheeler. Uh, because yeah, he's been good. Yeah. I had him in his rookie year. The way his game has evolved and, mm-hmm. and not evolved, the skill has always been there, but evolved for the consistency because when yeah. you think of the Winnipeg Jets this year, you think of their games, I think inconsistent would be the best way to describe their season. They haven't won more than two games. Right. They've done that eight times. They've not got the three games. That's over. crazy. Yeah. Blake wow. Wheeler's consistent consistency in his game has been really impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and a guy maybe because uh, I didn't expect him to come in and, and be that good is Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah. And, and he, he is dynamic. His speed his skill. And he had the typical, you know, kind of route came in and, you know, I think his first nine games in the year, I think he had five goals, and then the next 28 won goal. So it's that you come in, okay, things are working, and then oh, the tough schedule in November, travel, young player gets to see what the NHL is all about. Uh, you know, it, it's tough to bring it consistently. And, you know, he's been a lot better of lately. But definitely Blake Wheeler, to me, uh, I would say has exceeded just, just the way because he's been able to keep it going um, right. at a high pace. And I'm not even talking about, yeah, he's having a – Tremendous year offensively, putting up production. Uh, j- just his consistency and approach to the game. Right, yeah, and like you said, you saw him in Atlanta, right, when he was uh, uh, a big guy that could skate fast and then just kind of shoot him. Boston. Missed... Oh, Boston, yeah, sorry, Boston. And, um, yeah, he was always kind of those guys that a little bit you wanted more from, but maybe he's finally reached it, you know? Well, yes. Because he's and big he and he's fast. Where to go yeah. And, and, yeah. Well, when you're a young player like him who scored points their whole life and you come to the NHL, you think you measure success by points. Mm-hmm. And eventually, as you mature, you realize, well, if I look after the other elements of my game, the points will come. Right. But, you know, it's that team first, and he, he, he looks now at, you know, what is a good game for him. It, it's not coming out of it with a goal and two assists. It's about coming out, you know, hopefully with a victory first. How is he on the defensive side of the puck? How is his reads? How is he on the forecheck? Was he in on the puck? Was he, you know, in the back? All those areas. Mm-hmm. And he looks at that now, and and that's and that, that to me is how you become a true pro. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Shane Knighty here on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Let's talk a little bit about your career after playing, and we'll get into your career playing as well. But so you uh, you win the cup with Boston. You got into three games in that playoffs. Um, you, you have the the cup ring. I talked to Eddie Olchuk. I did one of these with Eddie Olchuk, and he didn't he didn't play at all in the '94 run for the Rangers. But he said he you know obviously he would love to have played. But it did not matter to them. They, you know, they're the black aces, and they did a ton for the team. And he said, you know, the leaders of the team recognized that, and and everybody else. And you yourself, I'm guessing you feel the same way. I mean, obviously, you would have liked to have gotten every game into every game in that playoff run to the to the game seven against the Canucks. But at the same time, like you're playing an important role, and you're there ready, and you're doing everything everybody else is doing. And I guess for yourself, like, how do you feel about that? It's perfectly fine with the role that you did play. It was, yep. and it was because of the time in my career. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting year. Yep. It was the first year I never had a contract. So this was my 11th year, I think, in the NHL. Yep. And nothing came up. So I got invited to, at that time, Phoenix, it's now Arizona, the Coyotes camp. 
uh, and Don Maloney and my agent. So I went down there and I had a real good first couple of days of camp. Went down early, skated with the guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, I think they had a conversation with my agent and said, everything looks good. We should be able to get something done here in a couple of days. Yep. Just got a couple of young guys we're looking at. And the next skater went out and I wasn't even a hard hit. I went in the board, something clicked, tried to battle through it, eventually got it checked and I had torn my rotator cuff. Oh, geez. Yeah. I was up there with ACL for recovery. So yeah. it's my first time. I couldn't get, uh, I actually didn't have insurance that year because of previous. So um, I'm sitting, I think it was 30, was I 33? Three thirty-four, yeah, no, thirty-four, thirty-five. Yeah, turning thirty-five at the time, um, and I think, well, this is it. You know, what's yeah. going to happen? And, <laughs> right, right. Uh, thank goodness, I was fortunate to be down there because I had a great doctor. Doctor was Lusky was his name, and he's one of the top guys for the MLB. So mm-hmm. he looked after rotator cuff surgery. Yeah, all day long. Right? And yeah. they, he, he, so I got that done down there, and I did rehab, and their rehab was intense. Mm-hmm. And when I brought it back to Winnipeg to follow it up. Um, they're like, wow, you're doing what we usually do at four weeks. So, but they went off their program and a credit to them. So, um, and it was tough because, you know, as a player, you never looked at the end and I became a miserable person. And I remember in November, it was, it was right. interesting at the time in November, my wife said to me, she goes, you know what? You got, you got to do something. And she said, you work. You're going to, and she actually said, you're going to go back to Boston and win the cup. And maybe it was just one of those things you randomly throw yeah, out the yeah. works and which it probably was. Um, and then it came, I think it was January 1st, uh, I went and visited my brother. I never get, like, Christmas and New Year's. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was the first time I skated. And once I got back on the ice, I'd been skating just a little bit. Yep. And, and then I pushed. I went back to Winnipeg, and I pushed. And at that time, when you've been out that long, you don't care how or why you get back in. <laughs> yep. And, and yep. it was a long shot at best. Mark Strait, I think, tore his rotator cuff that same year. I don't know whether it was a week before or after. I don't think he returned. Um, so I worked. Uh, at the end of January, I got a call from Peter Shirelli to come down, see their doctors. Uh, I did that, uh, and I knew them because I'd previously been in Boston for two years. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, I spent a year in Minnesota between. Uh, so I went there. They kind of up. Uh, everything went well. They said, boy, you're, you, you know, it looks good. You're you're good pace at this time. Um, so I went back, kept working, and then I, I got the call to come out. Boston was in Vancouver at the time, ironically, yeah. uh, on a road trip the end of February. Um, and I went out, and I went for a skate. And you know what? It wasn't like I was walking in a new room. Yeah, I you knew, knew why the they wanted right. me. They wanted me for, for a veteran voice. I'd been a, I was always a vocal guy in the room, mm-hmm. and they knew what type of team they had. And, you know, good friends, Mark Recchi, Zidane Char, I've known, known so long. I played in, with him in three years in Ottawa, mm-hmm. played with him in Boston. Sean Thornton, one of my best friends, one of the – so all these leaders, and I came in, and you know what? I'd worked, and I did all my strength and all that, and they said, you look – I worked hard, and mm-hmm. it worked out. And yep. they ended up signing me to a contract. And I remember I played my first game, I think it was April 3rd, maybe, against Atlanta. Um, so it was the year before I didn't make playoffs. My last game was around April 10th with Minnesota. So it was almost a year to date. Yeah, really. <laughs> but I knew why I was there. And I was a voice in the room. And playoffs came. Claude Julien, uh, you know, most guys would, you know, you didn't do the pregame. I did every pregame skate. <laughs> I stayed yeah, yeah. In for every game. And I stayed in the room until the guys went out for every game or until the coach came in about five minutes before do they talk. So yeah. he wanted me in that atmosphere for, for other things. So I had a role on that team. I ended up getting in the three playoff games. Mm-hmm. But I think that gave me more of a sense sometimes of belonging. Plus, from what I went through being out of the game, boy, you appreciate what you have just to be a part of that. And sure. I enjoyed it. I agree with Eddie Olchuk. I enjoyed every part of it, and I feel as much a part of it as everybody. And I think uh, you know that's the rewarding thing for me. So when it was – 
when the, the you won the cup and everything else, were you trying to get back another contract and it didn't happen and you decided to hang it up? Or were you kind of at the point where you were like, you know what, this is a nice ending. This is, this is a nice way to go. I was still in hockey mode. <laughs> I was still doing training and getting okay. ready. And yeah, yeah. You know, at that age, training's a little harder than sure. it was the tenure prior. And, uh, and it, so I'm trying to get on and trying to get on with the Winnipeg Jets because I'm in my home province. Yeah. They're moving back. Like, this would be great. And, you know, we're, yeah. we're looking around. We're getting offers for, you know, possibly a tryout. Every team, at this point, you're starting to see the move. And we've certainly yeah. seen it now of veteran players yeah. out. Yep. And this was when it started because everybody wants to look at what they have first in their youth, the mm-hmm. camp, and then they'll make it. But it was, uh, I remember it was the day I had uh, the Stanley Cup, actually, and I was driving my family to Winnipeg to Nepal to celebrate, and I got a call for a guy that said, uh, you know, TSN radio is coming, and they, they'd like to talk to you about something. Okay. I said, well, not now. And yeah. Passed, so I ended up going in for a meeting, the, you know, about three four days afterwards, and went well. Talked with the, my family about you know the possibility of this, and uh, and then a week later they they called. So now we're you know at the end of August, yeah, and they need a decision. And um, at this time, still it hadn't gone any further. And, and at that point, you know the the shoulder injury had had a big knee one about three years before, and mm-hmm. um, I'd won. Yeah. To me, it was a good opportunity to stay in the game, and it might have been the best decision I made because I got a chance to stay in the game that I love. I got a chance. To, to work in the same scheduled atmosphere. We're creatures of habit. I don't yeah, do yeah. anything else. I've been doing <laughs> this lifestyle now. For, uh, I, you know, 20 years of pro now between playing and five years now of this. Yeah. And, and it, uh, yeah, they, they said the job's yours. I said, okay. I said, well, it's a big decision. I got it. And anyways, I went home and it took about five minutes and I said, okay, I'm doing it. And uh, uh, I haven't looked back and I don't regret one thing. Yeah, so, well, yeah, you know, you always regret. You could have think you could have played, but right. I don't regret. I really don't. It, it has worked out. It was a great career. Of course, you miss the game. You miss more than anything. You miss the guys, that team atmosphere. But yep. uh, I'm lucky to to travel around and still work in what I call the best game in the NHL. Yeah, it's and and it's got to be. It's kind of a little flattering for you too. Like, okay, like I've just finished playing. You know, just like anybody, the broadcasters, analysts, they, they, a lot of them have to cut their teeth doing different things. You know, and to, for you to step right into the show. <laughs> Like that's awesome for you. You know they obviously valued you, and so yeah. it's a really good opportunity. Like you said, you know, instead of saying like, "Hey," instead of you retiring and then having to go down and to uh, an NHL market or somebody to call games, you know, so uh, it's good. It's good for you. Well, it is, and and it was, and it, it's a process. The same way working your way up. You know, I started with radio, and mm-hmm. got basically I handed a mic, and we got sent to that time <laughs> I think in Penticton for their Jets rookie tournament yeah. they have with the other teams. It's like here you go. Yeah. And you Talk. know what? They're, they're, you've got to work at it. They're, I've learned that. I've had good people to, to show me. You know, Dennis Bayak works and yeah. been in the business you know a long time. Probably sure. you know best person I, for me has been huge in my learning curve. Right. But there, there, there's some some natural instinct to it that I, I really enjoyed. And uh, eventually, and then that first year by chance, and this is where it really came. Is I forget who couldn't do it. Uh, one of the players couldn't do it. Guys couldn't do the TV. So I got asked to do a TV game. And boy. Talk about the closest thing to resembling your first NHL. Yeah, game. really, right? The nerves. Yeah. I'm going, all right, what do I do? And But I came home that night, but I said, boy, that is what I really want to do. Yeah. I love radio, and I still enjoy doing it, but yeah. TV and, you know, having that, seeing, making, marking plays. and uh, So so kind of set me on the path, and uh, and I'm fortunate enough to still be doing it. Yeah, it's a real skill on TV. Uh, get your point across, make it 
make it make sense and also do it in 30 seconds, you know, or what, whatever time it takes. It's a skill, no doubt. Well, and, I, and I didn't realize all the other stuff that goes, when you play the game or you watch a game, you don't realize, <laughs> yeah. you know, the guys are on there on the air that, they, you know, they've got their earpieces on, they, they've got their producer, their director talking to them back from the video truck. And then you've got a button that you talk to them and you've got to listen to the play by play guy. And yeah. you're trying to pull clips and mark this, what happened here. And, uh, and then you got to come up with something, like you said, and you got to be in it out, out of that conversation quickly with a point, hopefully with a point. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think I enjoyed that, that type of action that mm-hmm. I didn't realize went into a broadcast. Yeah, really. Right. Um, I, you're probably the wrong guy to ask this to because, you know, you're from Manitoba and, um, and, and, you know, you love it. You went back there. Everything sounds like you went back there after your career. And I'm from Winnipeg, so maybe I'm not the best guy to answer this. But you hear a lot. I listen, I listen to a lot of Toronto media stuff, me being the Leafs, and I listen to a lot of different podcasts. And people talk about the difficulty of playing in Winnipeg, uh, i.e. The, the, it's a lower salary team, uh, the weather, you're, a, you're in a fishbowl, um, blah, blah, blah. Now, you played for an original six team. You played for the Ottawa Senators when they were, you know, killing it. Um, you've also played for the Thrashers when nobody cared and nobody went to the games. What do you, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like players, some players would be like, I don't want to go to Winnipeg. I don't want, you know, the, the rumors of, you know, remember Evander Kane skipping out of the, on a restaurant tab and all that kind of crap. That's the stuff no. that goes on. I don't in think we have enough time for me to get started on that. Yeah, no, no. But I mean, like, I, I, things like that, players are like, I don't need that. I don't need someone putting that in the yeah. media or whatever. Do you, so, but again, maybe you're not a great guy to answer because you're there and you love it and I'm from there. But I don't, I don't get it. I don't get that part. But do players, do you understand that? There, there's, there are definitely there's going to be some players that have that. But I think the majority of them, it's, a, it's an extremely well-run professional organization. They've got great ownership, right. good management, coaches, everybody in place. Uh, they're developing. But it's part of developing a culture. And if you develop that right culture there uh, and an identity as a team and if you win, that's what attracts guys overall. To me, I think it's great. You play. You got passionate fans. You right. got a building that's rocking every night. The one downfall you're going to always hear, and it's part of being Manitoba, and everybody says, "Well, how do you live there in the weather?" Well, you just do. Yeah. And uh, I've, you always used to hear it, and everybody <laughs> said, "There's not a bad seat in the NHL," and that's talking mm-hmm. about in the room. And and if you get a chance to play in that league, I don't care. You could put any jersey on me, and I was lucky. I think two of the big favorite places, obviously. The chance to play for a Canadian franchise was fantastic. To right. start. The chance to play for an original six was outstanding. Also, the chance to play for Nashville a bit, but that was completely different. <laughs> yeah, really, um, right. I just love the city. <laughs> it is good. Uh, yeah, it's but, a good city. And then Anaheim for the weather. So in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, Atlanta, I love living there. Um, you know, the one year was, we made playoffs, so we did have fans. But the other, you could, you could lose 8-1. Nobody knew. It, it's just it wasn't in your your the back page of the paper. Um, One but media in, guy. In Winnipeg, yeah. you're it. You're, right. you're 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 the you're the thing there. And so, if you're a guy that likes attention or wants, <clears throat> you're gonna have fans. And I, I think there's a real great community feel to it. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be the guy to ask because I, I think it's a great place yeah. to play. Right. Um, but I can see that there would be some guys. Um, but that can change if if you get it the. I think the key for them is to developing the team the way they want. You you, you grow, you, you draft, you develop. That's kind right. of what we always hear, and you win. You win, then players come. Yeah, I just think, like, I went to a couple Thrasher games. I was out there for a race, and I went to a couple games, and it was brutal. And then, I don't know, to me, it's like big deal. Put a jacket on. Yeah, it's cold. 
and you're on a charter, yeah. you know, big deal. You're on a charter. You got pack building. Like, I don't get this. Like, oh, they can never get free agents. Nobody wants to sign there. I, I don't, like you said, any seat in the NHL, I think is, well, is good. And, and, and let's not forget, it's interesting to me when you say that is because, you know, if you want warm weather, whatever, yeah, I, I don't agree. I, I think just because you get treated really well. The organizations treat right. their players the right way. Um, and there's there mm-hmm. there's there's kind of a family feel, and that's but let's not forget long not too long ago, and we're let's talk about the team that's won three cups in the last six years. Yeah. Everybody will go play there. Look at yeah, Panarin. Yeah. Everybody wanted Panarin, but he who's going to compete with the Hawks and a chance to play with Kane? Yeah, the Leafs could have had back, him. I know. You know before the last lockout in oh four oh five, they were getting terrible crowds. Right. Nobody wanted to play. Guy, they weren't winning games. Nobody wanted to play there. I remember Steve Sullivan, when I got traded to Nashville, he came there mm-hmm. from Chicago, and the organization was a mess. Yeah, yeah. But they drafted. You get Seabrook, you get Keith, you get Kane, you get Taves. Right. And now there is every player in the league that wants to go play there. So there's a process to it, and I, I don't know if just where the city is really matters. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't know. I, I, I Maybe I'm listening to the wrong Toronto media stuff and all that kind of stuff. I, I get pissed yeah. off, though. I'm just like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like it, it ain't that to bad. Play in Toronto and go through that <laughs> well, media. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, hey, how, speaking of being a media guy, you were you know 550 games in the league, uh, a good player. Now you're on the other side, quote unquote. Um, you have to be critical of some guys sometimes. How does that? How do you deal with that? I mean, obviously you played, so you know what it's like. But on the same time, you got to be honest to your to your elite, uh, listeners or viewers. How do you deal with that in the room? And has anybody called you out? And 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 how do you uh, how do you feel? It, I can be critical, but I can't be personal. And that's kind of the of way, of course. Yeah, you know, I look at it. And, and there there is a team where you work with the team. You, you, you're trying to pull pause as much as you can. But if a guy yeah. makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. Um, if a guy's having a bad time, I'm not going to be the guy to say you know you got to trade him. He's terrible or that because yeah. I've been there. there. You you have ups and downs. There's nobody that is. Having a great season for pretty much. There's a lot of guys. They're going to have their off games. Look, Sidney Crosby. He didn't start the year right, but he got going. Mm-hmm. You know, the best players are going to have their ups and downs. It is a grind. It is a tough sport to play. It is physically demanding. Um, but in game mistakes happen. If mistakes course, didn't happen, yeah. it'd be zero zero games across the board. Mm-hmm. So everybody makes mistake. Every team makes mistakes, and you can point them out. But and you can be critical of certain play. But it's not personal at all. And and. You know, there, there's going to be guys that go through tough times, and you know, I don't need to weigh down on them. I think everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, so I, I've got my way, and some people think I should be harder, and, and that's that's their opinion, and that's fine to it. And I could be, but to me, it doesn't make sense. I think that's the easiest thing to do is just go out and rip on everyone. Yeah, you'd get a lot and of. Uh, it, you, some people would love it. Yeah, for sure. You know. But but you know when I played, I, I've learned to to just worry about those those that I know around me, the opinions I value. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, particularly my bosses, if they're if they're happy, then yeah, all's good. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you've made a you know you you were a tough, rugged defenseman. Um, you fought. You didn't have it. You weren't a fighter guy per se, but you weren't scared to drop them. We know the game now. Jeez, it just it is it isn't there anymore. There isn't that uh, guy on the team. The, the fights will happen, but they're at an, probably an all time low. I know the my Toronto Maple Leaf team. They barely. I think they got three fights, and Kadri was in two of them. Um, how do you feel about that switch in the game? And I've done a bunch of these podcasts. Where, you know, one of them was Dave Manson, and he was like, you know, you need that because otherwise 
there's going to be guys that are going to, you know, basically slash the shit out of your really good guys, and then your really good guys are not going to want to, quote unquote, pay a price because they have no they have no fear of of doing anything. These guys on the other team. Now, again, you weren't a fighter. You weren't a Dave Semenko like we talked about earlier, but you weren't scared well, to, to get in there. Well, it was part of my role, though. Yeah. No, I wasn't a heavyweight, but it was part of my role. It was an element to my game. So, and I, uh, and I yeah. still think there's a place for it. Right. I, I don't think there's a place for the guy that there's a lot of them that just, you know, get their turrets in. And we've talked about it. The guys that are strictly there for fighting. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to play. The biggest thing in the game now, you have to be able to skate. It is a speed-dominated game. It is about speed right mm-hmm. now. Um and that's why we're seeing a lot of these injuries head because in yeah. people with awareness, they can get in all that. Right now, fighting's still going to have an element, and it's they want to take you. You can try; it's never going to come to the. Go to a rec league. You can't take it out of rec hall. <laughs> You're not going to be able to take fighting because it is an emotionally charged game. I saw Nikolai Ehlers and uh, Tyson Berry fight a couple weeks ago. We mm-hmm. saw Nemesnikov and Fabry fight the other night in St. Louis and Tampa. It's an emotionally charged game. You're going to see that, and that. You're going to get a react. Watch the reaction of the Winnipeg Jets bench when Nikolai Ehlers fights. Yeah. It's tremendous. Thank goodness he didn't get hit. I'm sure the coaches were praying <laughs> yeah, yeah. for that, that he didn't get hurt. Um, but you're going to still see guys do it, and there's going to be times when someone's going to have to answer. Um, but I have no problem with the decline and the issues with head injuries because that is a serious, serious thing uh, in my mind, um, and, and that needs to be eliminated. So that said, Fighting, though, to me, is still going to have a little bit of a place. It's going to be a lot less than it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to try and take it out of the game, but you never will eliminate it from the game because because of how worked up you get. And like, yeah. like I said, you go yeah. to you go to any league, rec league now, and it, it's still. I've played in charity games, and I've seen <laughs> emotions get to a, uh, you know yeah. rise to that level. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's kind of needed, you know. It can't get. You're right. It's not going to get rid of totally, but the stage fighting and all that. I'm okay with that going away. That was always dumb. I yeah. thought, you know, you know. So when the puck was dropped. Um, before we wrap this up on the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Shane Knighty from TSN, uh, when were you when were you at your peak as a player? Like, what team, what what time in your career do you think that you were just uh, playing your best and, uh, you know, just one of those times where you got on a roll and everything else? Is there a particular time that stands out for you? When I look at your stats, I mean, you had good stats in Atlanta. You were plus 15 also. But then, you know, those yeah. Ottawa teams were great back then, and you were playing a, a big role on there. So what do you remember from your career as far as, like, when you were just uh, on top of your game? Oh, I'd like to think every year, but that's obviously. You know, there's, <laughs> I would say that that second year in Atlanta, and boy, what year was that? Was that oh seven oh eight? It was the first year that they made playoffs, and uh, I had a real good year. Uh, you know, at times I got bounced into you know the, the mm-hmm. top top four minutes, even top two minutes. There was a stretch in December. Bob Hartley was the coach, mm-hmm. um, and I played some real good hockey there. Uh, and and that was good, and it's peak. it was an interesting time for me, and I thought it's going to re-sign at Atlanta. Loved playing there. Yep. Uh, basically, didn't even get an offer from uh, Atlanta at the time, and That's they, weird. they yeah. kind of blew that team up. I never figured that out. It was mm-hmm. heading in the right direction, had the right core guys, and made playoffs. Yeah, we lost four straight <clears throat> yeah. to the Rangers, but the Rangers. We we're, were a close-knit group, and, and, and Don Waddell's GM, and Whatever he saw a different direction. I, I well, ownership was, was fighting too. Yeah, ownership. They, they didn't make yeah. playoffs again until last season. Yeah. So, uh, but then I then I went to free agency and you know like I don't know whether I jumped the gun, but Anaheim had just won the cup, mm-hmm. so they they called and I'm like, well, this is a good team, and uh, I had an opportunity. Went there and I 
it didn't work out. I, I didn't play my best hockey, and I got traded right after Christmas, and I went to Boston, and mm-hmm. I went to Boston that year to a team. This is the turnaround of the Boston Bruins right. where we fought and clawed to get to that eight position. I was part of a group of guys that just committed to one another. We climbed into that eight spot, played Montreal, of course. Yeah, of uh, course, right. First round, <laughs> lost the first two games in Montreal. They're shaking our bus. Won the, and, then, and then we came back, and we won the next two in Boston, and we took them to seven games, and that was the year Montreal dominated. And yep. that, that was a team that just learned so much that year and really what I thought sent it in the direction that, you know, and she led to a cup, led to another Stanley Cup final. Um, so, so those would have been the two years to me that, mm-hmm. that I played my best hockey. Yeah, you're right. Uh, your, your Thrasher team, I just think it was, I think there were ownership issues. Obviously, there was, they were going on for a long, it was one of the reasons why it went to the Jets. But when you look at Kovalchuk and Hosa and Scott Mellenby, I think, was there, and uh, you guys got Kachuk. Uh, for the, Kachuk. Yeah, for the playoff run. Like, you're right. Kerry Lettinen was playing pretty well. It was a, a, a team of, that was building a bit, you know? So anyway. It was. It was. It was building. Greg DeVries was a good veteran player we had. Uh, trying to think. Kozlov was there. Um, you know, yeah. Bobby Holik. Well, right. Bobby was at the back end of his career, but it's, sure. it's, uh, there, there's a real good group of guys there. Yeah, really, right? Well, uh, Shane, thank you for uh, for doing this. Winnipeg Jets color analyst on TSN. Um, like I said, it's been it hasn't been the greatest year for the Jets, but I think the future does look pretty good for them. Like you said, they integrated some youth into there, and they, they still have some moves to make for the trade deadline that's coming up in a couple of weeks. So things could uh, things could be uh, on the upswing there pretty quickly. Thank you for doing the for doing this podcast. Appreciate the time, and uh, thanks again, man. Thanks for having me. It was uh, it was good to do, and yeah, I think I agree. Jets are heading in the right direction. All right. Thanks, Shane.